This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Aloha, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Dreamland. I am your host, Jeremy Vaney, in for Whitley Strieber once again. So it must be the last Friday of the month. Um, I have a guest who I am super excited for. Her name is Pam. She's going by Pam Dillon. And um, I'm excited because I love talking to experiencers about their experiences, especially ones whom I already trust. <laughs> and I already trust Pam, Pam is uh, intelligent on the level and well thought out about her experiences. So uh, this is going to be great. It's kind of a throwback to the show I did for Whitley called The Experience, where I mostly talk to experiencers. Um, and I have a feeling this is going to go in directions you're probably not used to. Just just a feeling. I don't know. But here we go. Uh, Pam, welcome to the show, and thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you. It's great to meet you. Yeah, it's great to meet you, too. I, I, we sort of know each other from social media, but uh, we've, we've never actually met. And um, just so people know, her she wants to remain anonymous, so her camera isn't on, so you get to, this is what you get. <laughs> you get to look at this, for those of you who are watching on YouTube. Um, so, but, so Pam, it means a lot to me that you would do this, because I know you don't really talk about this stuff publicly, and uh, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah. And maybe, maybe we'll get into that, but let's, let's start with first things first. What is first? Are you a lifelong experiencer? And if so, what's the first memory that you have? Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of it, okay. I guess the first one would be just as a little kid, having these like tall white figures come to the side of my bed. And they'd just be standing there around my bed. Um, I didn't appreciate that. Uh, that was scary. <laughs> um, but the first really weird thing happened, I think I was 16. And if there's stuff that happened before that, I don't remember it. I've never done hypnosis. I think it's not reliable, and I think it's kind of creepy. So um, I was 16, it was like 1968, and there was kind of a UFO flap that year where I lived. And my mother and brother and a neighbor lady and I were sitting on the front porch looking towards the airport, and there were all these odd lights. And so all of a sudden, my mother jumps up, the neighbor lady jumps up, and she goes, let's go. And this isn't how my mother acts at all. So my brother and I run after her. We get in the back seat of the car. They speed off towards the um, uh, airport. And it only takes maybe five minutes by car to get to the airport from where I grew up. So, you know, we find, we come up to this fence at the end of a runway and stop. 
and my mother says, um, oh, it's just some lights. So we go back home. Well, this is like that missing time thing. We should have been gone 10 minutes, 15 at the most. We'd been gone three hours when we got home. And uh, so that night, I just went to sleep. The next day, I started, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but I started remembering, but I can't be remembering it because it's crazy. Watching my brother like float up through the air into your standard saucer shaped craft, you know, and then me after him. And for the next several weeks, it seemed like I kept seeing out of the corner of my vision, I'd see like one of those craft behind a cloud or something, but nobody else would see it. So I'm like, what is this? You know, I just chucked it up to like some weird dreams. But stuff really got weird like kind of in the middle of my life, I was in my mid thirties and uh, I had about a week where just, it was just hitting the fan, right? <laughs> like, just weird stuff. I'd get these phone calls that were just static, sort of like that John Keel, how he used to talk about getting phone calls that were weird and everything. I, um, my kids started to complain about little people looking in their windows. And the windows in the house where I lived with my kids at the time, they were like a good five feet off the ground. So no little people would be looking in their windows. And, uh, at some point I wrote a letter about some of this stuff and I sent it to um, this infamous ufologist guy that was writing books about it at the time. Are we not allowed to say his name or her? Can I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it was, um, now I panicked when you said, are you allowed to say his name? It was, it was the artist guy with the, the abstract artist who's Leslie King's friend, you know. Right. But Hopkins. Yeah. And he called me and uh, he said, well, I'd be interested in hypnotizing you. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, he goes, well, I'm going to send you some a form to sign. What he sent me was five pages of detailed questions that basically told you what he wants to hear from you when you're hypnotized. Five page document of question after question. So I wrote him back and I said, I think this is maybe a bad method, you know? And, and then I was like, whoa, how stupid. Wrong answer. <laughs> Of course, it's bad methodology. So it didn't get better after that. I started having nightmares about these things. Well, with, you know, can I, can I stop you there for one second? 
Yeah, yeah. Ladies and germs, we will be back after these brief messages. Them. Mitch Horowitz calls it in the preface among the most important interpretations of visitor phenomena since Jacques Vallée's passport to Magonia in 1969. Dr. Vallée says in his foreword, the book cites fact after fact to build the case for in-depth realignment of public policy and public need. Diana Walsh Pasulka author of American Cosmic says, leads the way and it's best that we listen because the stakes have never been higher. Earth Tech International President Hal Putoff says, them is exceedingly valuable. Leslie Kane, author of UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record says, groundbreaking in the truest sense of the word. Bigelow Aerospace VP Colm Kelleher says, searing and masterful. Them, a new vision and a new way of looking at close encounter. You have never read anything like them before. It is the beginning of a new way of looking at our own future. Where are we going? Where have we come from? What secrets have been buried? What secrets have been lost? What is the truth about the close encounter experience? You have never heard any of this before. Them. It's a, oh. UFO. Where'd it go? Disappeared. Them. Get it today. Available on Amazon.com. As promised, look, we came back. Let me stop you there for one second. So when when you wrote to Bud Hopkins, and you, I mean, it's amazing that you knew then that that was bad methodology because so many people would read that questionnaire or whatever it is and, yeah. and not have a second thought about it. Um, how is it that you knew that? Is that by way of, you don't have to give away what your profession is or was, but is, is it by way of profession or did you just, was it so I, obvious? I had, that... Well, I had a psychology degree, so I had some uh, sense of how you can lead a person into thinking certain things. But I also had just been through this, uh, trying to get my marriage annulled with the Catholic Church and there's a long 10-page questionnaire for them. So I was like, what is this? You know, like, I just did this annulment thing. And now he's got this big, long questionnaire. And and the more I thought about it, the more I just thought, there's something kind of creepy about this. I mean, the focus on reproduction, the, you know, sitting on the edge of the bed and the looking for marks can kind of reminded me of the witchcraft trials where, you know, they'd yeah. send a witch finder in and if you had certain marks or if you answered this or that question a certain way. So I didn't like the whole feeling of it. I didn't like it. Can I ask you just, uh, and then we'll get back to your experiences, but 
so I, I don't know. I don't remember how it was on Bud Hopkins' website, but on David Jacobs' website, there's there was a section dedicated. Maybe there still is. I don't know. But I, I heard he took it down the, the website. I don't know. But um, that was basically saying that he and I think Bud, but definitely he uh, do presentations for um, psychologists. No, you know they try to present themselves at a scholarly level, and that they do this. Does that click with you? Like, it sounds like if your background is in psychology and you read this thing and you go, oh, this ain't right. It sounds to me like something every psychologist would do. Does that make sense to you that they would be giving presentations to any sort of psychological community with any accredited background? Well, it makes sense that they could because at the time, David Jacobs had just written a book and published it at, I think he was at Indiana University. And um, so he would have been able to go anywhere and speak and present himself as a scholar. Um, but he was he was starting to cross over into that weird territory, you know, where it's like a lot more personal. I mean, so would they not? Um, so, well, first of all, he was a professor um, at Temple University, just to be clear. But uh, would he? Oh, okay. Sorry, I got it wrong. It's okay. So would, would he, uh, yeah. in other words, like, so the psychological community, would it be that, that, for instance, a school, another school, would maybe invite someone like him in simply because he's a professor without actually checking out his methodology just to hear what he has to say? Like, is that what it is? Because I would assume that anyone who actually looked at the that type of questionnaire or knew that they were doing hypnosis... For instance, knowing what how bad hypnosis is for memory retrieval, wouldn't give these guys the time of day. Is it simply that you can get in on your scholarship and your you know your background first, yes. and then they maybe look at you? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that clears up a yes, lot for me. That's it. Nice. Dreamlanders will be back after this. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there, in the stars, or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us, in you? Unknown country, join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions. Join the search. Join the adventure. UnknownCountry.com. There's no place like it in the world. As promised, look, we came back. Okay, so now now we're you're in uh, midlife and the fit is hitting the shan as the Right, say. right. But, uh, and, and you're having experiences, but you're also, you're saying you were having dreams? Yeah, really vivid okay. and the- dreams. Um, and one of them, I was in this craft, but all you could see was the middle of it, and there was a chair, and my brother was sitting on it, facing away from me. Uh, and he was about eight in the, in the dream. And I instinctively reached out to touch his shoulder, 
to let him know I was there. And as I did that, the voice said, don't touch him. And the minute I touched him, it was this uh, alien face right up in front of me, like maybe three inches away with the eyes only. It wasn't smooth like the cover of Whitley Stryber's book. The skin was more like wrinkled or a lot of deep grooves. And um, it seemed, this is going to sound crazy, but I had this sense of terror that's always off the chart with these things, like worse than any other terror you could feel. But under that, it looked like it was smiling at me, but it not from its mouth, just its whole demeanor. And so that morning, I was just kind of laying in bed, not wanting to get up, and I hear this pat, 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 and this is like in my actual life, not my dream, and I see these three little robed figures. They all have hoods, and uh, the one in front has sort of this pointy stick with a light on the end of it, and they're just walking up to me in a row, And um, I was so scared. I was just paralyzed. And I said, don't touch me with that. Don't touch it to me. Don't. So, of course, it touches me on the forehead with a stick. And then suddenly I'm dreaming again. And I'm running down this brick alleyway right next to the public library downtown. So... I'm running, I can feel myself running, and there's a bomb that runs right into me, a kind of a street person. And I can smell him and see the sweat on him. And he says to me, I'm worried about you. I've really been worried about you. And then I wake up and everything's just normal. So that this is the creepy part, this next part. So that day I had plans to actually go to the library. I had some stuff I wanted to check out. I went and I got it. I was up at the checkout desk and I feel this tap on my shoulder uh, and I turn around and it's the same bum from my dream. The same guy, the same smell, everything. He goes, I was really worried about you last night. Are you all right? Well, I just ran right out of there to my car and went home. And uh, so that was pretty weird. I saw that guy again a couple years later. I was working as a route service person, and I was having lunch in the mall. And I'm just sitting there eating my sandwich, looking at a magazine or something. And I feel somebody by me, and I look up, and it's this guy. He goes, oh, you're looking a lot better now. I think you're doing better. So he so he turns around and leaves. I ran after him. There's nobody out there. So I'm like, great, I'm hallucinating, you know. But um, all that... Did you ask anyone, hey, did you see that guy? I did. They just looked at me. So I don't think they saw him. So they just stared at me like, what? You know, because they see me running to the door. Well, 
at the 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 point of that week that was the most dramatic for me was you know things kept getting crazier and crazier I kept getting more and more scared I thought I was losing my mind I was so sure I was having a psychotic episode that I got my abnormal psych textbook and tried to look up what might possibly be wrong with me but that wasn't really helpful and um just as it got really bad, it was like it was like something just opened up and there was this big whoosh of air up my back into this brilliant white light. And it's just just like the whole near death experience light, you know, all knowing When was this? Huh? When was this? I was about thirty five, thirty six years old. And it was at I mean, the end of that. Is this a different experience? Hmm? It was is at the end of that. Is this a different experience, or is this? This is a different experience. It was at the end of that weird week when I was the most frightened that I was really losing my mind. Whoosh! Out of my body, into the light. All loving, all knowing, um, eternal. You could see that time was in some sense not real, just it's a, it's a constraint, you know, it's something that makes people, it gives structure to consciousness, I guess. Anyway, and then when I came back from that light, I felt fine. Didn't feel like there was anything wrong with me. Felt good, I wasn't scared. I didn't have any more aliens dropping in on me, but pretty much everything else in my life just fell apart. It just fell apart. And I've often thought that without that experience, I might not have gotten through all that other stuff, you know, all the loss and the pain afterwards. But I also think that there's something to these um, these experiences that people call aliens that has more to do with trying to break your sense of what's normal, trying to insert itself and say, hey, what you think is happening isn't what's happening. You know, kind of wake up. I really enjoyed your last show because you talked about that a lot. Oh, thanks. This is it. Last break, I promise. But, you know, you can solve your own pain here by just uh, subscribing to unknowncountry.com and getting the whole thing for free. Them, Mitch Horowitz, calls it in the preface among the most important interpretations of visitor phenomena since Jacques Vallée's passport to Magonia in 19. 69. Dr. Vallée says in his foreword, the book cites fact after fact to build the case for in-depth realignment of public policy and public need. Diana Walsh Pasulka, author of American Cosmic, says, leads the way and it's best that we listen because the stakes have never 
been higher. Earth Tech International President Hal Putoff says, them is exceedingly valuable. Leslie Kane, author of UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record, says, groundbreaking in the truest sense of the word. Bigelow Aerospace VP Colm Kelleher says, searing and masterful. Them, a new vision and a new way of looking at close encounter. You have never read anything like them before. It is the beginning of a new way of looking at our own future. Where are we going? Where have we come from? What secrets have been buried? What secrets have been lost? What is the truth about the close encounter experience? You have never heard any of this before. Them. It's a oh. UFO. Where'd it go? Disappeared. Them. Get it today. Available on Amazon.com. Um, God, there's so much we can talk about here. I don't even know what direction to go in. Um, maybe I'll just start here. So, yeah, it's hard to see because of the terror. Uh, that this could just be about breaking you down in some way. But I was even thinking about, it's just weird to have these experiences. And for me, they're not, my experiences are, you know, from what I remember of them is, is brief, right? But I can keep mining them years later for different ways to look at it until I get it right, you know? Yeah. And one of the things that I didn't even come up with until just today, as I was thinking about, how I want to approach this stuff next is um, I had an experience that I wrote about in my first book uh, that was kind of like what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that was a dream. Like a dream, but... but not a dream. Oh, thanks. It's a dream, but not a dream. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at some point I say, I can't remember what it is, but, you know, um, something about when do they come for me or whatever. And the answer was, if you want to figure out when they come for you, you've got to figure out when they come for your sister. And then I, years later, uh, I had an experience of, um, of, uh, I might've, well, I don't think I talked about it on this show, but maybe the experience of a dream. That's not a dream. Again, another dream. That's not a dream experience. Um, where three, uh, I guess they were sea lion pups came up out of a pool and, you know, one of the one closest to me stared at me and it thrust me into this vision of seeing my sister again, as a little kid, she's three years older than me. So I would have been, I don't know, one, not born something, but she was a little, little kid, uh, four years old, five years old, maybe it'd be taken by the hand by some guy, like a military guy. And my feeling as just watching this is that she's looking back at me and she looks confused and I'm like so sad. I feel like there's something I can do and I'm not doing it. 
and none of that makes sense, right? Except that it evokes a feeling right. of of all of that guilt and loss and sadness and uh, all of that. And then cut back to the seal pup who says, uh, essentially tells me, you still have attachment, you're not ready. And then they go back into the water and I pop up out of bed. And I look at these things that are, you know, first of all, masquerading as dreams. Yeah. And I feel like I've, I've done it enough in my life to sort of d- demonstrate that I know the difference between reality, a, a personal dream, a transpersonal right. dream, and a communication, you know, <laughs> and visionary stuff and all that. So, but here's the thing. The idea of, well, and also uh, back in high school when I had an experience of not being able to move. Yeah. And thinking they're here for your sister. So there are these three things at least that are about like, they're here for your sister, figure it out with your sister. But the last one is about you're attached to your sister and all of this terror may be about that. And I know that that's something people don't want to think about because I've brought this up and people say, no, that's horrible. Like, of course we want to have that sort of attachment to family and love and all that. But if there is, Anything that this is about to me, it is about the dissolution of self. Yeah. And so maybe this terror is more ab- about that, not about trying to terrorize you with booga to booga to boo, but showing you your level of attachment. Because you can't be terrorized. You can't be sad. You know, all of that if you are a light unto yourself, if you're right. whole. So it's really at least showing you what you're not, which is ready for equality. <laughs> With self-actualized beings, right? I don't know. That, those... Does that make sense? Yes, and there's some interesting parallels between your experiences and mine. You know, the attachment, the sister attachment thing, my brother in the um, dream, not dream the whole idea of a dream that's not a dream and that bleeds over into reality. And I've asked a lot of people, you know, what, what was that all about? Like I, one thing I did was right away, I went back to college to try and get this master's degree where you can tailor it to whatever you want. So I thought, well, that's perfect. I'll figure out what happened and I'll get the answers, and everybody will feel a lot better, you know. Um, but so I saw that universities weren't really what I thought they were at all. That it was it was not going to give me all the answers. It was it was pretty painful experience actually. Um, but I just felt like, well, I have to do something with this, you know. People have to know about this. And um, and then I could see that the people there, I did get the degree, and I, I graduated with honors, but I was like, who cares? Who cares? Nobody still knows what I was talking about. And the very fact that I was talking about it, you could see that, some of my advisors were like terrified of that. Like, why are you? My, my main advisor even said, you can't talk about this stuff 
if you want to succeed in academics. And I was like, but I don't want to succeed in academics. I want to understand what happened. So. Hmm. Well, there's something. (laughs) (laughs) You can have this or you can have that, you know? (laughs) You can be taken seriously or (laughs) the other option. You can be fulfilled. Um, I just want to ask you about, like, your experiences in general, um, the whatever was happening at the time. So, for instance, something you're like, oh, go away, and then it touches you on the forehead with a wand. Um, I know that the the temptation for people is to go to a hypnotist and get that missing time filled in, but maybe the missing time is part of the point, and if it's not, then... You know, maybe we just be satisfied with what we've got because hypnosis ain't the answer. But if you just look at what you've got, does it make sense to you? So, in other words, I trust that you're telling me the truth. I don't trust that your experiences are telling you the truth. No, yeah. Not because of any yeah. evil, deceptive, whatever, but because they literally don't make sense, which, again, to me is, it the, is point. the point. The, the, the fact that we make sense of the world and we're screwed up, something is telling us, not to right. make There's a level here of, of not making sense, of not logic, not right. truth, not you know, right. all of this. So what do you... Okay, so you're saying right. So I guess you agree with that. At what point did you sort of come to something like that? Because the obvious thing to go with is like whatever's happening to you is what's happening to you. Well... What was the turning point? It took a while. I mean, I think... I think I really needed to let go of thinking that knowledge, learning, uh, according to Western ideas of learning, that wasn't going to explain anything to me. And I, I had to really give up on that. And so that was one of the things I lost, like that idea that I can use my brain to just figure things out and then everything will be better. No, it doesn't work that way. And uh, and I really, I, I spent a lot of years just doing a lot of healing, you know. Like, I lost my original family. My husband dumped me. After going through all that stuff to get the annulment, which he wanted, as soon as it was granted and it took a whole year, he, he ran off with a Baptist. <laughs> Which is kind of, I find that darkly funny, but anyway. So, just <laughs> it was just like that, one thing after another. No, you can't have that, can't have that, you're not getting this. And at some point I had to think, okay, something is going on here. And it wants me to see what's really here, you know. That's hard. I tried a lot of things. I tried learning to meditate. Um, I had a guy from a Tibetan center in Chicago come teach me that. And after I'd been doing it a couple times, I was sitting on the floor, and this mouse came up right in front of me and sat on its hind legs facing me like in a meditation pose. (laughs) Like, aren't you hilarious? Look at you, big spiritual thing, you. You're an idiot. (laughs) 
I don't know, maybe this doesn't seem funny to you, but to me it did. I just yeah. did any did anyone see that one? <laughs> did anyone see the meditating no, mouse? No, no. It was only me. So No. The thing that I find funny about it is again that's something that we have in common is a, a weird mouse thing. Uh, do you know my weird mouse story? No. I'll, I'll, okay, I'll just tell it really quickly. Uh, it became a fan favorite when I used to do Paratopia. People <laughs> called it neck mouse, and you know, did all kinds of book covers, fake book covers, and stuff, um, which is great. But uh, I mean, essentially. I'll try to distill it. I saw an actual mouse in my apartment when I was living in New York that was just like walking across duty do and I couldn't find it. Like it was killing me that, that like I went to find it and trap it and all, and I couldn't, it was gone where, but it, I mean, yeah. it was a real mouse. There's no question. The thing is it like meandered into the room, stumbled along and then meandered out and then walked along. And then I went to look for it and I was like, Oh, you bold little creature. But I was so obsessed with it that I couldn't stop thinking about it all day. Obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. And then that night, I had a dream, for some reason, about, like, cockroaches or something in a jar, which was so gross Ugh. and weird that it became lucid. And the second that became lucid, uh, I felt a mouse, as I'm lying in bed, I felt it, like, come out of oh. my neck and uh, scamper across my head and jump in the air, and it was like really quick, and it was startling. And I opened my eyes to see this mouse flying in the air and just dissolve oh before my eyes. Oh my god! <laughs> oh. So there's one for like you know, is that a tulpa? Like what is that? You obsess over something, obsess over something, and then you pull it out of the ether, you know. Uh, so you know that that's interesting. <laughs> that's really great. Yeah. No, I, I mean, over time. But do you, so do you find that, do you have, well, well, wait a sec, do you have like an, an obsessive mind like that? Like when you started meditating and all of that, are you able to like supernaturally compared to other people sort of focus down into one thing? Like, would we be doing the same thing? Like if you see a mouse come into the room and like sit cross-legged, um, are you sort of pulling something into the room I, I guess it would be like a hallucination, but it's more controlled than that. It, do you think something like that's going on? Yeah, it's. I think it's almost more like mirroring, you know. Um, the best moments I have is when my brain just kind of turns off. And it's often when I'm outdoors. And um, I think that's what... what what people need maybe to stop thinking about everything, you know, because the thinking always mm -hmm. seems to go wrong. What, what I started to do over time is I just gave up on finding the answers and just started attending more to this, uh, to internal cues. So I have a sense of like space inside of me that started after that bright light experience and it's surprising but you know a lot of stuff will come from that from just listening or being open to that or letting it come in um 
I know I, I was in a group once where some, this guy was doing this reenactment of some personal problem he was having and he was really stuck. And so I was, me and another person were supposed to go up and put one hand on his shoulder and then, uh, see how he felt after that. And the minute I put my hand on his shoulder, I got that blank space and zipped all this like energy. I, I could feel it go right through my arm into him. And he, he, to this day, he says that changed his life. You know, I did not tell him that happened. I, I didn't want to sound like some kind of asshole, you know, like, oh, I can heal with my hands. No, I can't. But that really did happen. It was a, it was a real thing. And amazing things like that do happen if I pay attention to that space, you know. Do you have anything like that? Well, as far as being able to heal? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't like, I mean, I guess I'm going to be writing about it soon, so maybe I can talk about it. I just don't like talking about it too much. Uh, but yeah, I mean, through the Kundalini awakening, God, I hate these words, but it's what we got. <laughs> uh, yes. So it's not as though I'm healing. Like I literally shut up for a second, this impersonal energy takes over and um, has some success in healing people and animals. That's great. For sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I, um, I think, I think it's a, a real thing and that being quiet and learning to attend to, and I'm not thinking of meaning attend to what we're thinking or feeling or anything. It's, it's deeper than that. It's like this deep, quiet, void I guess and um, and stuff comes out of there and it's a good feeling because the more comes things come through me not because of me because myself I'm as neurotic as I ever was you know I can be very irritating I get wound up and spin and everything but um, but I do have that now, and I think the more I let go of external things and explanations, the more that got stronger. Hmm. Does that make sense? And let's talk. Yeah, for sure. Let, I want to talk to you about the light experience. Okay. Um, so, would you say what would you say that was in the mechanical sense—an out-of-body experience? I or thought was it in your body? Yeah, I thought it was like out of body or near death. The closest I could find at first was that near death type of experience. But of course I wasn't near death. Um but what there are, are some interesting the wrinkles there. Um for example, those experiences are only called near death experiences because they were popularized in the 20th century by heart surgeons, people who had had heart attacks and such. But um, the Institute of Near-Death Studies, the lady that used to get all the letters and categorize them and everything, 
said about 65% of the experiences they get are from people who are never near death. So it's a misnomer, you know. And then after I got out of school, I found this guy, um, Gopi Krishna. Have you heard of him? He was just an ordinary guy, and he had this kundalini awakening. And um, a lot of we ha- what he had to say sounded very much like that bright light experience. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like I didn't just... You know, I had that experience, and then suddenly I knew all the secrets of the universe, and I can heal people, and, you know, I can go on tour and everything. It's not, it's not like that. I mean, <laughs> he he said he, he went through years of healing, you know, after that. He, he was very sick, and I had the same experience. I, I, I went through years of just trying to glue myself back together in some way. It's hard. Did you, did you say what was happening at the moment that that happened? Like what you were doing? Did I miss that? I was not, I was just sitting in, in my room on the bed and nobody else was there. And as soon as I went whoosh up into that light, I was in the light. I was not aware of my body or my surroundings or any of that. And it was timeless. Like, it could have been two seconds. It could have been two hours. Time did not exist. And, uh, and did you, do you feel as though you, you know, people talk about getting downloads or, you know, some, some form of like gaining knowledge about life, the universe and everything. And then you ask them, okay, so what is it? And they go, I don't know. Is it that kind of experience? Yeah, sort of. And here's the thing. One thing I noticed about Gopi Krishna is he always thought that, you know, this was going to be the answer to world peace and anything we need to know. It's all up in there. But nobody ever brings it back. So I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that's what it's for, you know, um, because like I said earlier, I think our addiction to knowing and understanding every last little thing is part of the problem. And maybe other things yes. are more important. <laughs> well, and this is what makes it so hard to talk about because we do live in a society uh, that does just that. We want to answer questions. We don't want mysteries. Mysteries are to be answered. And when you have something that is like, no, this is actually, this involves a state of being, not a state of doing. And so that seeker and that person must be tucked away. (laughs) Uh, It's hard to hear. Nobody wants to, you want to say like, how do I do that? How do I solve that mystery of like, how does one become that? And, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, except to just keep explaining it over and over, and, and then hope that one or two people have a eureka moment with it or something. I don't know, but I, I feel like um, you know, if this is the big thing to, to get over, like in other words, if Go- Gopi Krishna is thinking like, oh, we can go to this place and bring back, you can't bring back like you're like you're saying, no. you can be that. Maybe that's a stage of consciousness that we can live 
as instead of visiting and bringing back. And maybe that's the message here. And if we don't, then, well, we see what the repercussions of not are, right? <laughs> of just right. saying all of this screw up that we are is human nature and that's it. Uh, but if that's not true, what con, you know, quote unquote contact or, you know, any of these sort of alienish terms that we like to use, um, what could be fruitful to a being that knows this about us and we don't, um, until we figure it out and they can't tell us because literally telling us, obviously, as I'm literally saying it, doesn't wake you up. Doesn't work. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's got to be all this sort of subterfuge kind of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and it's going to rub up against who and what we think we are by just by definition of everything we've talked about. So that to me is where we are. And yet here we are still in UFO world talking about disclosure, talking about aliens, talking about, you know, Tic Tac UFOs and all that fun stuff. And like, at what point do you think that there is going to be a point where people will see you know, en masse, that that isn't correct. I mean, John Keel was a long time ago. Jacques Vallée touched on it. George Hansen, in different ways. They all have different theories. Right, right. But at least they're not alien. And at least they're closer to us. Uh, do you think we ever get... But that never takes hold in the mainstream. Do you think it ever does? Or do you think... No. This is just no. the way it's going to be. I, I think... I think a lot of this stuff has to fall apart first which I'm not happy about. Who wants to live through a bunch of things falling apart? But even personally, for me, that was the process, right? I get to this point in my life where I think, oh, I'm doing everything right, you know? This is what I am. And something else comes in there and kicks my feet out from under me because, no, that's not right. And so I think... I think it's in terms of society, I think it's, I don't think that's going to happen easily. Free Dreamlanders, that is it. Please do consider signing up to listen to the rest of this interview and thousands of hours of content at unknowncountry.com. Thanks for listening, thanks for watching, and Whitley will be back next week. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.